So it's really good to see you guys. I want to thank y'all for being here and being a part of our Chatham Transition Ministries uh, weekly Bible study uh, as we continue in our study of the life of Jesus Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. And since everyone that is here has been a part of our class before, we won't go into a lot of um, extra details today about how we've been studying or what we've been studying. Uh, we, we're studying the earthly ministry of Jesus as presented to us in a chronological fashion through a harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so <clears throat> at this point uh, in our story, uh, the, the life of Jesus has, uh, is riddled now with conflict with the religious and political authorities of his day. Um, and I would say that you and I, as children of God, as born-again, blood-bought children of God, as the body of Christ, we need to remember that in the world that we live in, we're going to be treated, if we stand for what Christ stands for, we're going to be treated the same way that he was. That means that the religious and the uh, political authority <clears throat> is not going to have our back. And a matter of fact, they will usually condemn us. Um, anybody who's been watching the Roe Wade stuff here in the last few weeks, praise God, it's been repealed. But you can see the natural knee-jerk reaction from a fallen world to this. And you can see where true Christians, when they stand on the word of God, that thou shalt not murder. You, know, you can see what kind of opposition they run into because they're standing for what is right. They're standing for the word of God. And, of course, the world has nothing to do with that. So we see all this conflict. And we're going to see that in today's um, lesson. Uh, so let's go ahead. We'll open with a word of prayer. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. So as you're turning there <clears throat> to uh, the passage, I will pray, open in a word of prayer and get started. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to open your word and study your word and to receive your word and to believe it. We know that as we study your truth that you have promised that you will take that truth through the power of your Holy Spirit and conform us to your image. And we realize, Lord, that that is a battle. Every day we struggle to trust you. Every day we struggle to believe you. Every day we struggle in a world around us that hates you and has nothing to do with you. And so we pray that as we study your word today that you will help us to draw from it the things we need to see, the things that we need to hear, and the things that we need to know. And I pray that you will give each one of us in this room, myself included, the strength and the willingness to go out and live these words in our lives and share them with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, we're looking at John 8 verses 1 through 11. I'm going to go ahead and read that and then we'll go back through and we'll break it down. Uh, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses commanded in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman woman what then do you say <clears throat> and they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground but when they persisted in asking him he straightened up and said to them he who is without sin among you let him be the first to throw a stone at her Again, he stooped down on the ground and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? <clears throat> she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. All right, so now we're going to talk about this text. Uh, there's a big fancy term for this text. It's called the pericope adulterae. That's Latin, and I don't speak Latin. I'm not trying to show off to you. I had to look it up <laughs> to see what it means. But pericope is a, uh, uh, in biblical terms, is a portion of text. So a pericope adulterae, we can even tell what that means, yeah. adultery. And so this is basically a text of scripture that addresses adultery 
Now, <clears throat> um, if you are, uh, this uh, fellow here is reading from a King James Bible. There are no notations in a King James Bible, but if you're reading an ESV, which I think Lori is probably reading, right? and a New International Standard Version, you will notice that at verse 1 and verse 11 that there are some parentheses around the verses. Do y'all see that? Some parentheses? Mm-hmm. No, I actually need to go back to what chapter we're actually in. Eight. Sorry, I don't have the readers on me. That's all right. Chapter 8. One. Well, if you, if you, you, if you don't have your readers, then just listen and you'll be but fine. Chapter eight, all right. So... Modern, all of the modern translations, the NIV, the NASB, uh, the ESV, all of these modern translations of the Bible do, they put the parentheses around this and they will tell you that this is not a part of the original manuscripts. Okay? Um, so, um, what is it at issue here is the authenticity of what we're reading. The only uh, thing that I have a parenthesis. Is because seven uh, right here. Fifty-three. Yeah. They went to each one's their own house. Yep. It starts in fifty-three and it goes to verse eleven. So it starts in seven fifty-three and goes to verse eleven. And so the what the what the scholars are saying is is that in the original manuscripts this was not a part of the originals. Okay. So the King James Bible that he's reading from was taken from something known as the Texas Receptacus, which is a Latin. Bible, okay? But is that adding to what the Bible warns we're, us we're, against? We're, we're going to have to try to answer that, Lord. We're going to try to answer that. All right. So, the uh, Latin text was a text that was used for like 1,400 years in the world. It was the text. So, what did they do? They took the original writings from Hebrew and the original writings from Greek, and they translated them into Latin. And for 1,400 years, that was the Bible that the church used. And anybody that knows anything about church history knows that uh, around the 1300s or so along in there, people started wanting to put the Bible into the common languages, the French, the Spanish, the English, the the German, so that people could read it. Right. All right. Well, the King James Bible took the Latin text and translated it into the King's English. Okay. So now what you have is you have a Bible that has gone from Greek and Hebrew to Latin and then from Latin to English. All right, so there's three steps there. Greek translated to Latin, translated to English. Hebrew translated to Latin, translated to English. The modern Bibles, the NIV, the ESV, even the New King James, some of these Bibles... Um, all of these Bibles, what they did is they eliminated the Latin text. They didn't use the Textus Receptacus. They went back to the original English and they went uh, Greek and the original Hebrew and translated it straight into English. All right. So if you were to work with a group of people called the Wycliffe Bible Society uh, Translation Committee, what the Wycliffe people do is they go all around the world and they translate the Bible into languages so that people can have the Bible. So if there's a little small language uh, group, uh, people group down in in central India and they don't have a Bible, the Wycliffe people will send scholars there that can speak both their language and speak Hebrew and Greek and they will translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into their language so that when they read it, they can understand it. Why do they need that? Because they don't speak Greek and Hebrew, right. just like me and you. Most of us in this room don't speak Hebrew or Greek. We can make and say shalom and tell somebody peace in Hebrew, right. but we don't speak <coughs> Greek. Right. So we need it in a language that we can understand. All right. So what has happened is the... Scholars have realized that this text that we've read today was an insert that a scribe put this in, added this in. Okay? Now, whether or not this is authentic or not, we don't know. But the goal of the translating the Bible is to give us what the apostles actually wrote. Right. You see how that works? So, what would be the best way of deciding what the apostles wrote? To go back to the original manuscripts. Now, when they wrote the King James Bible, they didn't have very many manuscripts. 
but now we have thousands. And so what we do is we take all of the manuscripts that have been found and we compile them together and we use them to balance one another out. So this particular text that we're reading today, in most of the old manuscripts, it's not there. It's found later in some of the later text. Okay. Did they find it in writings of John and that's why it's here? <clears throat> no. no. What it, I mean, it, it's not something um, this obviously involves right. Jesus. So, so the, where did they get it okay. from? So the text that they used to make the Textus Receptacus, the, some of the manuscripts had it in it. Okay. So they put it in there. Okay. Now, whether or not it is authentic or not is uh, up for debate. And so the modern translators, to be honest are saying, look, in a lot of the originals and the old manuscripts, this is not in there. So we're going to put these parentheses around it and say, we don't know whether or not this is what the apostles wrote. Right. Okay. Now, when it comes to the question of does this take away from the Word of God, like are we actually taking something away and saying that this is not important? They're not taking it away. Or are we? did they add to the Bible and this is messing up the Bible? Right. Well, the reality is, is that this text that we're reading today is a beautiful story. It and it's not, it does not contradict the analogy of faith. But what, where did they right, get it right. from? What, what do I mean by contradicting the analogy of faith? Everything that Jesus has showed to be teaching here is in line with, with what he's always taught. How do they decide what goes in the original? In the original, they get the old manuscripts and they find where there's harmony. If there's one manuscript that has a line in it that none of the other manuscripts have in it, then they say, well, this is probably not a part of the original. Right. You see? And so what they're doing is, what they're doing with all of those old manuscripts is that they're using the manuscripts as a refining process to help us to know exactly okay. what the apostles wrote. Right. So, for 1,400 years, the Textus Receptus, the Latin Bible, had these verses in it that we've read today. Yeah. So, when they translated it into the King's English and they used that as their majority text to translate it, what do you think they're going to do? They put it in the King James. The modern translations of the Bible did not use the Latin translation. They went back to the original manuscripts. And what happens when they go back to the original manuscripts? It's not in there. So what do they do? They put it in brackets and say, we don't know whether this is authentic or not. So is there anything wrong with us teaching from this text? No. And is there something that we can learn from this text? Most definitely. All right? So let's go ahead. Um, Can I read this text? And uh, can I read this text and trust that it is authentic? I can trust that the Word of God never fails and that everything that we're going to learn in this text that we're reading today teaches us about God and His truth and eternal truths, and it does not contradict anything else in the Bible that we read. And it's a beautiful story. So let's go ahead and look at it. I told you all that a pericope is an an extract. It's a selection from a book. Specifically in the ancient Christian church, it it was a passage of scripture appointed to be read on a certain Sunday or on a certain day. So this would have been like a a scripture reading for the day. Okay, And what we find is that in some of the manuscripts it's in Luke and in some of the manuscripts it's in John 7 and in some of the manuscripts it's here. And so we're going to go ahead and we're just going to teach on through this and find out what we can find out. It says Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now you remember that <clears throat> Jesus had been confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes in the last time we were together last month. And they were questioning whether he was who he said he was. All right. So what they're going to do is they're going to put Jesus to the test. Early in the morning he came again into the temple and all of the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having her set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. What then do you say? All right. So they are putting Jesus to the test. 
And if you guys remember, what are the two main accusations against Jesus that the Jews use to uh, nail him to the cross? There's two things that they constantly accuse him of. Does anybody remember? What are the two things that the, the, the enemies of Jesus are constantly accusing him of? Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Okay, all right. So blasphemy. Blasphemy. In what way? That he is not who he says he is. He they say he's not. Who do, he claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be God. That's exactly right. So according to the law of Moses, if someone comes and claims that they're God, what are they doing? They're blaspheming. They're blaspheming. Why? Because they're a man, right. and a man can't be God. Right. Well, we know with Jesus that he is the God Man. Right. You see. So is he lying? Is he being blasphemous? No. He's claiming to be God. And the Jews are accusing him of being a blasphemer. Right. Okay? The tear the temple down in three days was but that's the, how the they final, kill him. That was the final argument to prove that he was... Yeah. Yeah. So, he is uh, accused of being blasphemous. He's accused of uh, claiming to be God. The other thing that he is constantly accused of is that he teaches against the law of Moses. He, they always constantly tell him that he is breaking the Sabbath. Remember? Oh, that's true. Right? So if he truly is breaking the Sabbath, what is he doing? Breaking the law. Which means he is a... Blasphemer? That would make him a blasphemer. But what is it? If, if you break the law, oh, what does that make you? No, what does it make you if you break the law? A criminal. A lawbreaker, yeah. a lawbreaker or a <laughs> or a too simple for my a sinner, right? <laughs> well, and they claim that he is a lawbreaker, that he right. is a sinner. I, I want it to be simple because we need to understand that this these are the plain and obvious accusations that they are making against Jesus. One that he's claiming to be God. And two, that he is breaking the law of Moses or teaching people opposite the law of Moses. Is there anybody else that you can think of in the Bible that might have been accused of teaching against the law of Moses? How about the Apostle Paul? Well, Well, yeah, but he was, that was after Jesus set him out to teach for the. Who was he out to teach? Gentiles. And what was he teaching them? The, the gospel Jesus. of Jesus. Jesus. Yep, that he was the Messiah. But what was Paul using to teach the people that Jesus was the Messiah? How did he teach them? Where did he go? What resources did he use? Yeah, the scriptures. That's exactly right. right. So what the people were teaching was is that G, that Paul was teaching. Uh, against Moses, when in reality, Paul was actually teaching the people that Moses points us to Christ. The law points us. And for us, to after Jesus, it's so simple to see. Good. So let's turn really quickly back a few pages to John chapter one. Let's go back to John chapter one and look at and see what the Apostle John. Is that an iPad? Yes. All right, to, to see what John says about this. Right? The very beginning of chapter John one? chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 14 uh, through 17. It says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher ranking than me, for uh, than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received upon, uh, received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized. Through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So, the apostle says the word became flesh. Jesus is God. He clothed himself in human flesh. And we saw his glory. 
Now remember, and in the book of Isaiah, Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping creator of the universe, said, I will share my glory with no one. And right here, the Apostle John is saying we saw his glory. Whose glory? The glory of Yahweh. And what did it look like? It looked like Jesus. He was clothed in humanity so that he could explain to us who he was. If he came in his full glory, we wouldn't have been able to look at him, look upon him. He clothed himself in our frail human flesh so that we could know him, so that we could understand him. And it says that uh, uh, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So there is almost, it sounds almost like two opposite things, law and grace. Law and grace, but they're not. And what we're going to find today in our lesson is that our tendency as fallen human beings is to make mercy and justice, wrath and grace, opposing principles. Think about that. Mercy and justice. In our fallen human nature, we see them as opposites. Why? Because it divides us in half as human beings. But to God, mercy and justice are both expressions of who he is. And so what we're seeing these people do is try to put a razor's edge to mercy and justice. They're using the law of Moses and saying this is justice at the cost of mercy. We're still seeing And Jesus Jesus is expressing mercy and what do the fallen enemies of him see when he expresses mercy? Lawlessness. Injustice. You, you see how that works? Yeah. But both mercy and justice are expressions of who God is. And God cannot be divided. It's just and justifier. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so when it says that the grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, grace and truth are realized in Christ. It is through Him that we can find both justice and mercy. Because if you and I receive what we deserve, what do we receive? Justice. Justice and wrath. The mercy is, uh, you know, I'll use this example. We've all seen the movie The Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. And the scene where the woman is caught... And she says, go beg um, mercy from the prince. And so she goes to Moses, and she says, mercy, Prince Moses. And he says, mercy, what have you done? So mercy is what is given. It's, uh, it's given because a, a law has been broken. Right. So what has happened here is that we've all broken the law. We're, we're all sinners. Right. And mercy is given to us because the Lord of mercy has given us mercy because he's born our sin. Right. On behalf, so mercy can only be applied when there's been something, something. violated. Right. So. right, but but remember, justice requires justice. Of course. And so, if God were to go to a sinner and say, "You are forgiven," without Jesus's work on the cross, he violated justice. So justice is mercy. No, justice is God's law, and mercy is the grace of the gospel. It's the God, God the Father has to be satisfied, propitiated. Justice has to be satisfied. So for every one of us in this room, we've sinned. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. But by Jesus coming... Both grace and truth are satisfied in Christ. When he hung on the cross, he took the death that we deserve. And that judgment, that justice, that wrath was poured out on him. 
And because He took the wrath that I deserve, now He can share His mercy with me. That's the, you know, the glorious thing is that it is so hard to comprehend, you know, by the natural mind, but He imputes our sin upon Himself and gives us His righteousness. So there is a, a double imputation here. Our sin is given to Christ, and His righteousness is given Good. to us. And you know, I mean, that is just a glorious thing. You know, you think really about is. that, trying to get your mind around it. But that's God. You know? So, so all the people, me. all those centuries that are being led by the Sadducees and the Pharisees through the law of Moses, are they like false teachers? Well, they they. The Pharisees, the problem that the Pharisees had was that they were using the law to magnify themselves. They were. Yeah. Instead to use it for its purpose. And what was its purpose? To show us that we can't possibly do it without a Savior. That's exactly right. So the law actually, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were using the law to say this is what we do to get to God. When in reality the law says... This shows you you can't get to God because of what you've done. And what, what did Jesus say to the people about the He says, do what they say, but not what, what they, they do. do. That's exactly <laughs> right. And so what you're going to see in this passage we're looking at here today is that these teachers are using the perceived imbalance in law and, uh, and, law and grace, uh, justice and mercy, and they're going to, they're going to hold to the side of justice at the cost of mercy. And you will see that many who live in sin hold on to the hope of mercy at the cost of justice. I can live the way that I want to because God is a loving God. So you're, you're talking about the, the act here of adultery. The adultery. Yeah, it's so interesting that people who tend to live in sin tend to give themselves grace but they're harsh towards someone else Good. and that's what we see right and and everyone and, and even in our own lives when we look in the mirror we have to realize that this is me yeah. that my tendency is to give myself mercy and give you justice that you deserve the, the other thing here too which, you know has always been fascinating to me and has been pointed out I'm sure you know, of us know this but um where was the man? Because yeah, both yeah. of them are supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna bring that up here in just a second. So, no, that's okay. So the teacher of the law uh, and the Pharisees describes uh, uh, come to Jesus in this setting, in this public setting, and they put him to the test. Now, we've seen this test several times in the Scripture. Remember the time where his disciples were eating the... The corn, the the grain out of the field, and he said, "You're teaching them to break the Sabbath." And and again, so what what is this test? This test is to to split Jesus down the middle, to get him to either yield to mercy or to yield to uh, justice, but not both. And in our fallen nature, we can't see that. But so what it, what it, what happens? They catch this woman in the act of adultery. They bring her and they throw her at Jesus' feet. Now, the authorities quote Moses. And they say, Moses commands us to stone her. What, uh, what do you say? So you see what they're doing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And Moses tells us that we're to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now, how does this trap work? Well, the trap works in this way. If Jesus says mercy, what would mercy uh, implicate? If he were to say give her mercy, what does he mean? Just forgive her and let her go. Let her go. No consequence. All right. If he does that, then what are the Pharisees going to say to him? She broke the law. She broke the law, and you are siding with a lawbreaker instead of siding with Moses. So right. you can't be the Messiah. You can't be the Messiah because you're right. teaching contrary to Moses. Right. But, and we're going to we're gonna see here in just a minute that these men have stones in their hands. Are they ready to pull the trigger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And if Jesus says, I agree with Moses, stone her, then what is he doing? Not showing any mercy. He, well, he, he's not. But not only that. He's picking a side. He, not, not only that. Remember who is in authority, who is the true authority. He doesn't have the power or the authority to, to do that. Why? Because the Romans Rome, only Rome. give a death sentence. Good. Only the Romans had the authority to give the death sentence. So if I go out in the streets here in the city and find a drug dealer uh, dealing uh, drugs to kids and I take him around the corner with a baseball bat and break a skull, right? Uh, am I doing the kids in the neighborhood a favor? Yes. Well, probably, but what's the problem? I'm taking the law into my own hands. I am becoming both the judge and the jury and the, jury and the executioner. You see? No. I'm becoming all three of those things. And I can't do that. Right? So, if Jesus says stoner, they're going to kill her right there on the spot. And then the temple police are going to come in and they're going to lock him up and they're going to hand him over to the Romans. And what are they going to say? He told us to kill her. Incited the people. They want law and order. So you see how effective this trap is. Like... Were it not for him being God and being Jesus, if it were me or you, we would be caught between a rock and a hard place. Oh, yeah. Now, do we have to deal with this same type of test in our daily lives today? As Christians, as children of God, do we have yeah. to deal with this? Yes. Right. Sense, yes. Sure. Can somebody give me an example? When do you get pinned between Rome and, and, and God? Uh, let's Every day. Okay. I, I, I got a, a particular in mind this road Wade thing. Right. So someone who is opposed to the repeal of the abortion law will tell me something like this. Well, what are you going to do when a brother rapes his sister and she's pregnant with his baby? I'm pinned now, aren't I? Put the child up for adoption. Put the child up for adoption. But but what do but you understand as the person who has been confronted by this, if I say kill the baby, you know abort the child, then I'm speaking contrary to the word of God. Yes, and what's happening here is we're making life arbitrary, and that we're in the authority. Good. Once there's conception there, that's life, and that's God's creation. We don't have the right to take it. Right, but there's a tension there in it. You, you, do you feel that tension when people confront you with that? The woman's been violated. Yeah. yeah. She's been right. So sin is the source of all confusion. And God's law uh, is able to disperse that confusion because it's true. But because we are sinners and because we violate that law, our tendency is to side with the lawbreakers instead of the law and saying that it's just. But through Jesus Christ, you and I now know what mercy is. And we are able to trust both the law and God's mercy. Now, we're going to run into the same thing when it comes to your friend of yours living the wrong way and you going up to them as a Christian and telling them you're living in sin. Is that going to cause conflict? Sure. And what is their usual There's response? An argument. What is their usual response to you? We're all sinners or you're, you're a sinner too. So. Yeah. You, you're or just, trying to take, mostly what I get is trying to take the focus off themselves by blaming something on Good. you or something on somebody else that sounds much worse than what you're accusing them of or trying to help them to change. Okay. How about how about the old... Denial deflection. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's how about the old, don't judge me. Oh, yeah, that's very common. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Well, the reality is, do you see how that causes a conflict in you? Yeah. 
Because I know that I don't have the right to judge anybody. Yeah, but God's word does. Okay. I'm not judging. I'm God's word is judging, and I believe in God's word. You're not condemning that person to an eternal life of hell, but you are pointing out that you were violating God's law by sinning, and you were doing so because you love that person. You know, I mean, just playing it all out that the reason I come to you is because of love, not because I'm trying to condemn you. Jim, you are so good at this. (laughs) I wish I could pop out. I know myself. (laughs) Yeah. We all come out of that. (laughs) So, when when they tell you don't judge me, does the Bible tell me that I don't have the right to judge anybody? Well, in a sense, but... But God's Word does. God's Word tells us to use righteous judgment. So, if God's law is the standard for my observation... It's the law that is condemning them, and it's the law that is judging them, not me. And the point of the law, I know as a child of God, is to point me to the cross and the mercy of Christ. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the conflict there between... um the, per, the unregenerate person and abortion is a good example is that um, and this is how the conversation usually goes you, know, you don't have the right to tell me what I can and can't do with my own body sure. so uh, yes that is in a sense however um, if you did not vi- violate God's law by committing adultery or fornication in the first place there would not be a child and once a child is conceived then you have abrogated or lost the right to your body because someone else is involved right. here. Good. And, and they, don't, they don't see that. That's exactly right. So the unregenerate, when confronted, when the when the unregenerate when confronted with the law, says you don't have the right to tell me what to do with my body. But do you see the hypocrisy that there is a body inside of their body and they're violating those rights of that person? And they don't want to hear that. That's the, the life. That, that's irrelevant. That's exactly right. And it's the same way, and and again, I I always want to make sure that we point this back to ourselves. Because we can get into unrighteous judgment. We can be holding ourselves above other people and looking down on other people and and judging people in an unrighteous way, in a hypocritical way. There's a principle here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, We can be hypocritical about it. We should pray for that every day, not to be judgmental. So these men that are coming to Jesus are using the law as a way to try to tear Jesus down and to build themselves up instead of using the law as a way to point us to our need for God's mercy which is the other side of the same coin and Jesus in the cross has allowed mercy and grace to kiss you know a a great illustration in that scripture is the man who is paralytic and Jesus says to him son your sins are forgiven you he says that first and of course the Pharisees are saying what manner of man is this who he's blasphemed who can forgive sins but God and then he reverses it and says to them which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk and so he heals him and uh, proving that he's God but the first thing he says is Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, only God can forgive sins. Right. So they right. thought they had him there. And he also reminds that man, in the same way that he reminds this woman, go and sin no way, more. The only way that he could have taken up his bed and walked was to have those sins forgiven. So they're ready to throw these stones. The men are, are saying, What do you say? Give us an answer. Do we stone her? And what does Jesus do? He kneels down on the ground and he he starts scribbling with his finger on the ground. Nobody knows what he wrote. There's all kind of speculation about what he wrote. But the reality is, is that a part of what he's doing is allowing the accusers to show their own ineptness. Like when... So if you're ever discussing morality or issues like row aid or uh, abortion or anything, any kind of moral issue with someone, 
if they think that they've got you on the ropes, what do they try to do? They try to get you to step on your own words, to, to go ahead and just say what they know they got you in. And so they keep pushing Jesus for answer, and what does he do? He just stalls. Does he know the answer? Of course he does. But they're all standing around, and he's sitting there waiting, and it says this. They persisted in asking him, spring our trap, spring our trap. Do what we expect you to do. Break the law. Tell us that the law of Moses doesn't matter and let this girl go or enforce the law of Moses so that the Romans can come down here and arrest you. And they keep persisting. And then what did he say? He straightens up and he says to them, you who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at you. So, the one of you who has not sinned, you throw the stone. And that's something that we need to remember. The, the law has not been given to us as God's creation as a way for us to be the enforcers. To, to use it as a bludgeon to break somebody's head with. Right. The purpose of the law for the child of God is to keep us at the feet of Jesus, to keep us at the cross. That's where this woman is right now. Right? To reveal right. that we are sinners. Right. That's where this woman is right now. She's at the feet of Jesus. And that's what the law is supposed to do for you and I. It is not steps to get us to heaven. It's a barrier that shows us we can't get there on our own. And the law is used to drive us to the cross. To drive us to Christ. And that should be our use. When I'm talking to a lost friend, the law is not there for me to beat them over the head with. The law is there for me to show them their need for Christ. I think there's also another lesson here in the sense that one of the problems that we have is we tend to get into shouting matches with people. And Jesus quietly you know, made this statement to them. And the scriptures teach a soft word turns away wrath. Sure. You know, when we confront people with the truth, it's going to have a reaction. And usually the sinner is going to, as the old saying is, a hit dog collars. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, a, that's what usually happens. But we're to represent the Lord and, you know, say that without arguing with And them. our problem is, is that we want to prove that we are right. Right. And the purpose yes. of the law, the purpose of the law is to right. prove that God is right. And that happens when right. you're out there in the abortion clinic, people, and it's embarrassing sometimes because you know believers will sometimes engage, and you know, that's uh, we're not supposed to do that. You know, just present Christ right. and don't shout at people and cause them, call them all kinds of things. So, so that I, one of the main emphasis I want us to see today, and this is so yeah, important. Get off on that no, no, Didn't no, no. the abortion clinic close down? Yes, it's good. Wonderful. So the point of the law is to show that God is right. And unfortunately, we as fallen creatures often use the law to show that we are right. Right. I am this and you are not. When in reality, yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. And then we fall into the very same thing that these Pharisees have. So what did Jesus say? You without sin, you cast the first stone. And then it said, what did it say? It said then beginning with the youngest of them and then going to the oldest, they started dropping their stones. So basically the old men dropped their stones first and left and then the young guys were, were still standing there with their stones. Well, what does that indicate? As you mature and as you get older, <laughs> you realize how much, like... Pride uh, of the young man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that um, life has a tendency to humble us. You know what you said about the uh, soft spoken. What did you? How exactly? The software turns away wrath. When somebody is belligerent and angry, and if you address that person, you know, with a soft word and don't, you know, don't raise engage the level. In and uh, being Greek, I know how that is because Greeks are emotional people. <laughs> John Nicholson. I want to remember that forever because I tend to <coughs> try me. to talk over someone when I. When they're hollering job. at me. That got me a job in an interview when I was asked how I would handle a volatile situation. Of 
quoted that scripture and it got me a job. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, no, that's very good. So, straighten up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are those? Where are they? Where are those that accuse you? Did no one condemn you? And what does the woman say? No one. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and from now on sin. And more now, think about what he's saying to this woman. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, is I have the, a question about is that. Is the woman guilty? Yes. yes. She is. So, in the same way that the Pharisees were looking for Jesus to either violate uh, Moses or to violate uh, mercy or to violate Rome, in the same way, were it not Jesus saying this to this woman... What would he be doing by saying, I don't condemn you? He's letting a guilty person go. Right, exactly. But the reality is, is that Jesus is staring into the eyes of a woman who he is going to die to to Mm -hmm. take the wrath for that sin of adultery that she committed. And he knows her heart. And he says, go and from now on, sin no more. Now, the point that Jesus is making is, you are guilty, I forgive you. And if you truly grasp and understand what forgiveness is, then your desire is now going to not want to be not to, want to sin. To, although to, we to don't live have that the way. power to do that, but and if she doesn't, I mean that was a teaching lesson for for all of us, for the people who were there. But she got to walk away scot well scot free actually. Nothing happened to her. But if she sins in the future. She's still going to lose her salvation. Good. Yeah, her, her heart was changed. Her heart was changed. Right, right, right. And so the different. So now, <clears throat> for you. He knows her heart. He knows what she's going to do. For now, for you and I in this room, now we stand condemned by Moses, and yet Christ took that condemnation on the cross for us. So now the law does not condemn me, it upholds me. Because I have the righteousness of Christ. Not my own righteousness. It's not my goodness that gets me into heaven. And because I now live in that reality, because His Spirit lives in me and reminds me of that daily, now my desire is to do what is right. Do I do what is right all the time? No, I sin every day. But the difference in a child of God and a child of the world is is that this child of God struggles with sin. We fight with it. Wherein before we were regenerated, before we became children of God, we embraced the sin. So in our in, in the example of a drug addict, if Christ regenerates your heart, what is going to be the typical pattern of a regenerated heart of a drug addict? They're going to walk away from the life. Does that mean that they might not relapse? No. No. But it means that they're going to struggle now where in the past they embraced it. Right. All right? So in my own life, what I have to do is I have to look at my life and say, hey, am I struggling with these things? It's not just, it's like I just recently struggled with something. And plainly, the answer was in God's word. Plainly, it was in my heart. And I struggled with it. and, And I corrected and repented. So, so, so I want to bring up this last Jesus point. Jesus gives us the power to do that. I want to bring up this last point, and, and I hope that this makes an impression upon you because it makes an impression upon me. I work in drug and alcohol rehab a lot. I, I get a chance to go once a month and work with a detox uh, uh, home here in Savannah. And I can, t- I can look up to the board. I'm going to go there and teach tonight. And I'm going to go look at a board up there, and I'm going to see three or four people's faces up there who have died from overdoses after, le- after leaving that place. All right, they Where stayed there it? eight months. It's on Victory Drive. They stayed there oh. eight months, sober eight months, and left and went back home. And most of them took some fentanyl or yep. heroin and died of an overdose. Sorry. All right. Now, when Jesus tells this woman, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more, there's a blessing and a hope in that, isn't it? Right. But there's also a warning. That now that I know God's forgiveness in my life, now that His Spirit lives within me, I have a greater obligation to live and to do that which is right according to the law. To whom much is given, much is required. Right. People who, uh, in 
this this gospel saturated country in which we live in, God is going to hold many to a greater accountability. Sure. So we have to understand that God's mercy and God's justice are both expressions of who He is, and from His perspective, they never contradict one another. But because we live in a fallen nature and a fallen body, we live in that conflict daily, don't we? And it is only through the truth of God's Word, through the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, that we can walk the walk that we're required to walk. And it's not easy, but He gives us the power to do it. And we do need to understand that there are repercussions when we do not live the way we, that He commands us to live. And so there's plenty of pictures in the Bible. I think of Ananias and Sapphira, two of them. They're, they're born again children of God. They're in the church. And they publicly come out and do something in, in, in the face of all of the church and, and, and all of the people of God. And God strikes them dead. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And so we have an accountability to God. I don't know if ever hear in that story. What's that story? It's Acts 5. You, you, you can turn to Acts I'm 5. It's, it's, it's a couple that sold some land. Um, all of the people in the church, the Spirit was working, and everybody was giving money to the church. Uh-huh. And everybody was living kind of in a happy society where everybody was helping one another out. And they sold some land and came in and gave some of the money from the land and said, see, we sold the land here. Here's the money from it. But they kept some of it to themselves. So they tried to show like they were being real generous, but in reality they were being greedy. They, they lied. Yeah. They lied to God. Right. And so we we have to understand that this is a wonderful text to help us to understand both God's grace and God's justice. And that there's in the tension there. there's a tension there. Yeah, there, there's a tension there in our fallenness. Yes. In Christ, in God, there is no tension. Because his mercy and his wrath, his justice and his grace are all expressions of who he is. And there is no division in God. So, I hope that this has been a informative and challenging lesson for you today. Let's go ahead and close with a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together today. Thank you for this discussion. Thank you uh, for your word and your truth. Thank you for your law that guides us and points us to your son Jesus who loved us enough to die in our place and to take a hell and a wrath that we deserve so that we can have a heaven and a forgiveness that we can never earn. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.